Alright, hello everybody, welcome to the Wicked Side, this is Brenna speaking, and we're uh, coming back today with my uh, guest host, Andrea, from the Gonzalez Family episode. She's back with me today. Hello! I <laughs> waved, I can't believe I waved. <laughs> <laughs> I do things like that too. Yeah. I find like I'll point at something and I'm like, that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, they can't see this. I'm waving! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But uh, we're both going to uh, talk a bit today, and it's there's a lot to cover, so I think we're just going to jump in, primarily because, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So without giving too much away, let's begin. So last week got a little too hopeful for a Dark History podcast. So for this week's episode, we're returning to the chaos and mayhem without giving too much away again. We're going to start by telling you a bit about the 17th century. Um, some of the major events that I had found was the beginning of the Yoruba uh, civilization in um, South Nigeria, which eventually I think I want to cover them because holy mm. crap, were they very advanced. Oh, yeah? And we don't talk about them at all. Yeah, I don't think I've heard of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something that really, it's interesting. Britain's East India Company was established and electricity was finally given a name. James I commissioned the authorized version of the Bible and it took 47 scholars seven years to complete. Dutch explorer Peter Mnet landed on what is now Manhattan, and England's King Charles I, who took over after King James I, dissolved Parliament. Mm. So all, like, yeah, there's a lot pretty of stuff going major, on. yeah, developments, um, in particular in, like, just humanity's growth, I feel like. Of course, this is the Renaissance era, the tail end of the Renaissance era, so it makes sense to me that a lot of this was going on during that time. Right, yeah. Because we were just now being like, hey, science is a thing. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's not all magic. Right? (laughs) Right. There may be, like, some logic to things. That's crazy. So as you can see, uh, the the 17th century was an exciting time for humanity. There was a lot of growth, a lot of change, some good, some bad. However, the subject of our story takes place in 17th century Italy. So that's where we're going to start focusing. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the Italian marriage market during this time. Both men and women were actually traded and bartered, kind of like a giant and sick game of trading cards, and divorce was simply not an option. So you were stuck in an abusive or loveless marriage, and you just had to wait or hope your partner would die, which so awful. is terrible, yeah. but yeah. But it was also very, very common, unfortunately, for men in these situations to beat and abuse their wives. Right. It was really an everyday thing. And there was zero recourse for beating or abusing your wife. Right. The, yeah. There was nothing. Unless yeah. you killed her. But even then, women were yeah. seen as property and you could do whatever you wanted. I think I remember reading at some point them talking about how the lower classes, kind of like the peasant class, had more women may have had more freedom. Because when you were like nobility or attached to land or money, then you there were no love matches basically in, in that kind of that class. But there was more chances for that, I guess, at the lower levels because nobody mm-hmm. owned anything. Because basically there was something called like the um, the Little Ice Age, and it mm-hmm. started like around the 1500s, and then it kind of went until about 1850, mm-hmm. and it had a lot to do with like. Right before the 1600s, there was a, a famine. And mm-hmm. so by like 1650, things were really messed up. 
and you had what is it the 30 years war i think yeah. that was going on and so that drained a lot of italy specifically italy financed a lot of the 30 years war and so by the time that that was wrapping up they had a really bad economy they had a lot of poverty and it's right around this time shift where poverty was sort of looked at as divine at first right Mm -hmm. you the church would look at things and you know everybody be like oh you know to be poor in some weird way oh you you take care of the poor you give them a little bit and then right around this time when all this chaos is happening you get a viewpoint that's changed to where being poor is sort of linked with some sort of dysfunction or evilness right Mm. so you're lazy you're this you're that so when you had you know all these different things coming up it's like they had like you know famine the war inflation i mean they were saying like 20 percent, and then there was the plague they Mm -hmm. were one of the late stages of having the plague come into italy was like in the 1630s and they had like 20% to 50% of like Eastern Europeans died mm-hmm. in this kind of late plague surge, right? Yeah. So you have like all these things that are going on, economic problems, health problems, and, and like then, you know, there's famine because there's something wrong with, I think there was something going on even with like, because the little ice age stuff wasn't, there was something going on with the ground. Mm-hmm. Which is weird. How this all comes up. It's like, it's weird because it's like when I was looking at this, I thought, wow, what they decided to do was they kind of decided to get to invest in landed nobility, which meant that you kind of went from people who may have owned some of their own land to, well, we're going to revert it back to giving all the nobility tons of land. So nobody owns anything mm-hmm. and only the nobility owns stuff. And so what ends up happening is the nobility decides, well, we're just going to invest in cash crops. So they invest in silk and stuff like that. And so what ends up happening is that a bunch of skilled labor leaves because they're not really leaves. It's just nobody uses skilled labor for anything anymore because you're only dealing with so many these cash crops. And so it really, really like you had the Renaissance, right? And there's all this exploration of all these different ideas and everything. Mm -hmm. And then you have the church in the 1600s taking a big hold on everything. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like putting themselves forward again because they were a little bit, I guess they just weren't as in the 1500s, I guess in Italy specifically, they weren't, Mm -hmm. didn't have as much of a hold, but then they started kind of investing in it and that again and then the nobility stuff and so what ends up happening is the divide between the rich and the poor gets huge they kind of take out whoever's in the middle because they give all those properties and all those things to the really rich and so what ends up happening is that um like illiteracy skyrocketed Mm -hmm. um skilled trade laborers and stuff like that it was all gone nobody did any of those things because you couldn't make money at it because the rich people were the ones who decided luxury was more important than like say staples of society like you know mm-hmm. food and, and things for everybody wow that sounds right? familiar but doesn't that sound familiar it sounds yeah. a lot like what's happening today exactly. where you have a you have a plague or you have a pandemic and then you ha- have like people deciding well you know we're gonna make property really expensive mm-hmm. right can you buy property right now not really, unless you have a lot of money, all the property's super inflated. So everybody's yeah. shifted 
to rents, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing that happened back then. They had the plague, they had all these uh, economic disadvantages, and then they started taking land away from everybody, so land was super expensive. And then they yeah. dumbed down everything so that you're, you can't, you're not really craftsmen anymore, right? You're just producing yeah. whatever they want. And so I think it's a really interesting parallel to, like, what's happening now. And I think, like, what's happening now between, you know, like, the crisis lines and mm -hmm. everything that get called nowadays, like, you know, since the pandemic has all increased majorly. With yeah. people being at home, family units being at home, everybody's feeling kind of, like, stuck in their situations, I think. So I think there's some sort of correlation between... These things happening, causing stress on certain things, and then mm -hmm. you see an explosion of children going into the ERs for abuse, and yep. women shelters getting overrun with calls from people needing help, because I think that there's kind of like a isolation in a way that's mm -hmm. happening to people, and it even it may not be like the same trigger as it was back then, you know what I mean? But yeah. I think that some of the results are interesting. Yeah, interesting in the similarities, yeah. you know, like, I think we lie to ourselves constantly as, as people, as human beings, and we tell ourselves we've evolved so much since then, and I don't really know that we have. No, it's a lie. Yeah. You and your child, they tell you that the world is civilized, mm -hmm. right? But the truth is, is that you just might live in a civilized momentary pocket of time that it is, right? Yeah. Or it isn't, and it's all fake, and they're telling you that the world is civilized, but the, actually the world is not. It's, yeah. all, it's all barbarians. I'm sorry, but the world is full of barbarians in this country and in every country, and they tell you that it's, that's not how it is. Like, when I was mm -hmm. a kid, they basically, I figured, oh, a world peace is going to happen. Everything is headed towards world peace. Like, yeah, exactly. everything's going to be great. I can be anything that I want to be. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, you can go to college and your life is going to be awesome. And, you know, yeah. uh, we're going to get rid of, you know, world hunger and all this other stuff. And then it's like, actually, the, the truth was none of that. Yeah. The truth was that was all lie. And mm -hmm. you bought it so that you would spend your money going to college to get a degree that's never going to help you. Yeah. That you're locked in debt. Yeah. And then they're basically going to laugh at you for the rest of your life because you're carrying a debt load around because you were stupid enough to believe them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. And they want to paint the idea that the world is civilized. But I'm like, man, if you read the headlines, it's like... There's, like, people going around kidnapping 500 girls out of schools in certain places. How is this exactly. civilized, you know? Exactly. Well, the real startling thing, too, is, like, recently, it's been all over the news, is that school in Canada where they found the bodies of, like, 215 oh, yeah. Native American children. Yeah. And the most startling thing, there's two facts about that that, like, if this doesn't wake people up, then they're just hopeless. Um, most of the bodies were from the 1950s. Yeah, that's crazy. As early as the 1950s. And the school only shut down in 1996. That's crazy. I'm yeah. like, what? <laughs> Like, and they're finding more bodies every yeah, day because a whole exhumation process has gone so, on. So what is the, what are they saying happened? They were, well, of course there was a practice and I think we, I talked about this, touched on it briefly in the Code Talkers episode mm -hmm. that I did with my mom, but it was really common for both Canadian and American governments to swoop in, 
steal Native American children right. and place them into concentration camps that they called schools. Right, sure. And it, I mean, it was an attempt to, it was genocide. It was an attempt to erase the culture yeah. and force them to conform, Right. you know, and give up their lives and their traditions, and their habits, you know. So the kids were... They were basically were, whitewashing them. Yes, but they were doing it via torture. Right. So the kids were starved, the That's kids crazy. were beaten, the kids were raped, the kids were worked to death. I mean, they were treated like, like animals. Right. You know? At worse than... I, yeah. I don't even think... I think, like, if, if um, found out anything, is people are way yeah. more prone to getting mad about animals being abused than they are about children. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? I've yeah. seen way more outrage yeah. from people about a dog being kicked yeah. than I have about abuse of a child. Yeah. And it seems like there's an overall attitude, too, when it comes to children of people, like, you know, putting their hand, like, over their eyes and, like, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to get involved. Yeah. I don't want to be mildly inconvenienced by reporting this or dealing with this, you know. And, of course, that allows the cycle to continue. Nothing gets better because, essentially... We don't have the testicular fortitude to, right, yeah, to, to do what do we anything. need to do. Well, plus, you know, I would guess in the 50s or whatever, it's, again, once you are isolating a population, it's really easy to take advantage of them. Oh, yeah. And if you, you know, you're isolating these kids in a school, and then only people that are really checking in is the parents and maybe, you know... The maybe, parents weren't granted Well, of course, not the parents, the time, yeah, yeah, right, but just the... Um, like, whoever's working there. Yeah. So, like, and they know what's going on, and if they're a part of it, then... And they always were. I mean, it kind of reminds, like, what I find despicable is, like, I do not understand how people are okay with, like, the the border issue with, you know, Hispanic kids coming across oh, the yeah. border. And then just, let's put them in a kennel. Yeah. I mean, literally, they built, like, kennels. And, like, I'm like, I don't understand how you can see that stuff and yeah. be like, this is okay. Exactly. And it's like, it's not. It's not okay to treat people this way. I'm sorry. It just isn't. And then they try to make it a political issue. They're like, this person started it or that person changed it. It's not a political issue. It it, it doesn't. Politics are irrelevant. Yeah. Politics are basically the hot potato blame game. It is. It's to keep us busy throwing the hot potato back and forth at each other for blame. And we never get the issues solved. Because honestly, neither side wants to solve it. No. Neither side wants to solve it. It's like, man, how disappointing is that? You know extremely. what I mean? Yeah, it's extremely. like extremely. You guys are still treating them. Just ship them around. Yeah. Separate them. We try to return them. Oops, we can't find your parents. We're sorry. We don't even yeah. know where you're from. You know, it's like it's just. Yep. And this disturbing terrible. amount of children that were in that system that wound up in our sex trafficking system. Yeah, in the and US. all sorts of crazy stuff like that happening, and like mm-hmm. nobody cares. Nope. Or maybe a small percentage of people care, but I think a lot of it but is like people just feel like, what can I do? The easiest way to make people not care is to politicize it, to yeah. put a political figure in front of it and tell them, hey, you know, they this just, person right. says it's okay, and they, they give you all these reasons, and you like this person, aren't you going right. to listen to them? Well, mainly it's like and you they, drop your humanity off at the door. And you, say these you people know. deserve it like these children deserve it yeah well they cross it's illegal i'm like man people do illegal stuff all the time that does not mean you got to put everybody in a cage, exactly and know? that's what gets me too is yeah. so many of these are the same people that are screaming freedom and how important freedom is yeah but they don't seem to actually want freedom no they don't because they want that it's a okay dictatorship for a government to treat any person like that and give a government that kind of power over yeah. a person 
that's not freedom. No, it's not. And you know? It's just, I just think that there's a certain percentage of either political side that just want to be spoon-fed their opinions. Exactly. You know, they don't actually form any opinion on their own. Nope. And they just run with whatever the... I mean, I can't even tell you how much, like, you have to do a lot of due diligence this day and age to find out what is real information and what is just whatever whoever wants me to know their opinion of you know and i imagine probably back then it's the same game like everything is the same game nothing ever changes like Mm -hmm. i think they spread this illusion that things actually change but when you look back in history you just see everything is circular yeah it's like everything just comes back around the plagues come back around this comes back around everything comes, and we never really get we get technological breaks where things kind of shoot off. Yeah. But it's like so much of the time, everybody sat back in the same stew over and over and over. And no one can figure out how to get yep. out of it. Well, and that's, I think I, I might've talked about this before. So if I'm repeating myself, I apologize, but there's a, a great podcast, not podcast, but YouTube channel called Vsauce. Mm. And he did a whole episode on the topic of juvenile, which is again, it's, it's that thing of where, um, the older generation begins to fear the younger generation. Right, you know, right. they they're basically like, well, I was a genetic success, so mm-hmm. everything related to me and my life must be the successful way to do things. Right. And they see any new progress or anything like that coming in from the younger generation as dangerous and destructive. Right. Particularly and mostly, they chalk it up to being destructive to the moral fiber. You know. Right. Right. But. In this episode, they also talked about how there's this this theory about this repeating and constant cycle. Mm-hmm. How you have like a period of unrest, mm-hmm. you have a period of uh, then a major event happens, then you have a period of reformation, then you have a period of peace, and then you have a period of social kind of dissidence. Right. You know, right. and then it all starts all over again yeah. and all over again I totally and all it. over again. Yeah. Cause I remember being a kid and people being like, Oh yeah, your generation is crap. Yeah. You know? And then it's like, that's why I don't do that to any other generations because that was give that. I basically remember hearing a lot of it. Like mm-hmm. Gen Xers, you guys are crap. You guys are never going to amount to anything, you know? And, yeah. and so that's why to me, I'm like, I don't try to like play into those kind of stereotypes and stuff no. because I'm like, I remember, like, oh, your music's stupid. The stuff you guys like is dumb. You guys' ideas are so immature. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh, great, thanks for raising me that way and believing that, (laughs) that, you know? And that's the thing that always gets me about this weird paradox. It's like, but you're the ones who raised that generation. Exactly. So you're basically calling yourselves giant failures as As parental figures. Right. It's true. So congratulations? I don't know what you want But I think it's one of those things where, like, every... I think it's, like, the standard of adulthoodness. Yeah. And the standard of adulthoodness is to, like, not... Is to try to suppress the people who are younger than you because you're superior and they're mm-hmm. stupid. And it's like, but then if you do that, it's like people who don't ever listen to music that's outside of like their 20s. Yeah. That This is totally the person. The person that never listens to new music. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I know right away when someone is a person that doesn't listen to new music, I'm like, oh, you're one yeah, of those people. Because exactly. You're going to sit around and be like, oh, all new music is terrible. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the same attitude they do for everything else. Yeah. That, that is, that's exactly it too. It's that, it's that stagnation. Mm-hmm. It's that I refuse 
to learn, adapt, or grow to anything outside of what I have put on a pair of nostalgia glasses for. Yeah, yeah. So if it didn't happen within this this specific nostalgic area era to me, I don't think it's any good. I think the bloomers are very, very oh, guilty very of guilty Because of I can't tell you how many times they're like, I'm sorry, but Led Zeppelin and the Eagles were the best music ever made and nothing will ever be as good as that, so I'm never going to listen to anything else. Exactly. And I'm like, man, there is a whole world of brain inspiring things out there that you are cutting right. yourself off from why and for what yeah for what but it, essentially it's it's def- i feel like it's a a desire to feel superior and relevant yeah it's like if and, you like post malone it's like you try telling somebody that's oh, like in their God, 50s yeah. that you like post malone and they're like post malone, nah, 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 nah. and it's like you don't realize like that dude's fucking brilliant yeah. How are you guys so against this kid? He's a self-made, you know, rock yeah. star, and Every, you guys are totally against him. Everything they claim to love. Right, right. That's the yeah. thing, too, that I don't get. Yeah. So many, there are so many self-made people right now in the world, yep. and all of them are constantly being torn down yep. by the older generations. And it's yep. like, wait, wait, wait. This is the hard work and the effort yep. that you've been telling us gets you to this point but then you're tearing down the people that have made it to that point so like it's because you're saying there's just no way to win they made it outside of their system yeah so if you make if you make profit outside their system then you are counter to their belief of what is good exactly so that's like all the record companies hate post malone they Mm -hmm. hate him because he didn't do it with record companies i don't think i think he just did it all by himself and like on you know, iTunes, yeah. you know, or whatever it is. I mean, there's so many like artists that go on to iTunes that have no affiliation with anybody trying to promote them. Yeah. And in fact, they turn them away because they're yeah. like, no, you just want a piece of my pie. Right. And I see what you did to all the older generation with what you've done with the record industry mm-hmm. and everything else. They're like, we don't want nothing to do with that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the that, gatekeepers. It is. But you've seen it very much even with TV, too. Mm-hmm. And the TV industry, you know, and the networks there, they didn't take YouTube or things like YouTube seriously no. for a very long time. Bitcoin? Exactly. That's another thing. And now we're, we're in that stage. If the banks so. had known Bitcoin was going to go up like five bazillion percent over this year, they would have mm-hmm. jumped into it like four years ago. Yeah. Five years ago. Whatever. They would have jumped into it. But they didn't have like the foresight to realize. So they mm-hmm. missed the boat. So yeah. what are they going to do? They're oh, going to try to just beat it down. Industry. Yeah. The what industry? The newspapers. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they they knew for a very long time that all of this sort of digital revolution was coming. They saw this a mile away, and they chose to ignore it because they wanted to cling to tradition. Right. And stop, you know, they stopped their own progress. They hobbled themselves, and then they turned around and they blamed millennials like yeah, every yeah. industry right. that refused to like grow and change the restaurant industry oh millennials yeah. don't like going to restaurants i'm like i don't know i see a lot of millennials going to restaurants i don't know where you guys are getting exactly. your information from but that's crazy to do, like blame the decline of restaurants on millennials yeah i mean but i think that's kind of become the catch-all it's the easy lazy thing yeah, to do now I think so. if something's declining just blame it on a millennial I mean, I and doing, like what's the generation somebody will be angry and mad and what's yeah. the generation under millennials um the gen z i see them they're starting to do it to them now yeah like now oh, they're yeah. starting now to catch the blame z like oh they're that. real awful it's like yeah. come on man they're just kids you know what exactly. i mean exactly yeah and it's it's that thing 
like a lot of millennials now are going like, hey, stop. Don't start yeah. doing this to them, too. This yeah. is ridiculous, it guys. Is. You can't keep ignoring the facts. Yeah. It, but, I mean, they're they going do. to. They're going to. <laughs> yeah, they do. Because the facts are uncomfortable, and they make right. them feel irrelevant. Well, and the other thing, too, is it's like um, they want to keep their power. They want to keep their economic power. They don't want to sh- have any shift of, like, yeah. um, money from, like, a few hands to many hands. Yeah. And so I think that a lot of it kind of plays into like this whole story about how people feel trapped in their lives they don't have any choices and the system is basically keeping everybody enslaved Mm -hmm. like marriage back then if you were of a certain like noble class or of a certain class like it was like you're you're you don't have a choice this is prison unless your family really 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 loved you and was like i'm not gonna do that to you yeah. then it's not going to happen. You are going to marry whoever they want you to, and you're going to be a prostitute, and mm-hmm. you're going to have to just deal with whoever we decide is good for you. Yeah. Because you didn't have a choice. Yeah, exactly. And and that's unfortunately like just what it comes down to. Uh, like I said, I mean, men and women were treated like a trading card game, and you were just stuck. That was really it. The only way to really get a divorce was the person, one of the people had to do something so considered so awful socially mm. that, you know, it was no longer beneficial for your family to be associated with that family. So it wasn't, they could beat you, they could treat you like shit, but, like, if your husband did something so, like, socially shameful... Oh, I see. ...then your family could step in and, and, and they treat it as a contract. Oh, yeah, I a see. A business contract. I see. Oh, being associated with this business... So they just void the contract. Exactly. Is no longer beneficial to us, so we're going to appeal for a divorce. Is that all through the church? Mostly. Yeah. Yeah, most of it um, was dictated by the church. But marriage wasn't about love at all. Like we've said uh, during the Renaissance, it was about building connections, alliances that increased wealth and the standing of the family, especially for aristocratic families. Right. For them, marriage was about diplomacy and building a dynasty. And that's really what it was. These marriages and alliances were actually so important to community and government leaders, they would spend a great deal of time and energy arranging marriages amongst their supporters. Right. So not just, like, with their own families, but actually with the people that supported them to keep that support going. Right, right. You know? And, and, hey, this family, you know, this family owes me because I made this very beneficial connection. And, you know, so... Give me your daughter. Yeah, it was just (laughs) just ways to form more power. Right. And all I could think while I was reading all of this and and doing all this research is that, yeah, I mean, we all know that George R. R. Martin took a lot of everything from Game of Thrones from history. And definitely, I think, especially the marriage aspect of, of how it was treated, like... Yeah. In the fictional world of Restoros was definitely right. taken from Renaissance Italy in a lot yeah. of ways. I mean, I think if you even look at stuff like Trump's family, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Avonk, was it, what's her name? Is his daughter's name Ivanka? What's her name? I think, yeah, Ivanka. Something like, I can't, something like that. Sorry if I'm getting her name wrong, I can't remember, but like, mm-hmm. they married, she married into a very, very rich, powerful family, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of possibility that those types of marriages at that kind of level yeah they're i think they are a, a bit of arrangements going on well we know they are because yeah. it is statistically more likely for human beings to cross the boundaries of race and religion mm-hmm. and culture before they will cross the 
divide of class mm. to marry one another. Right. So if you ever look at the statistics between marriages between very rich people and very poor people, mm -hmm. they're practically non-existent. Right. Whereas you'll see people of different races and different religions and everything else same coming together. Yeah. Mm. But as long as they come from the same social standing. So that, I think that definitely plays into all this. That's why I say Very it's much. all just a cycle, huge you know? cycle. Yeah. Huge. But this is one of the reasons why I'm such a history buff. Yeah. You know, my, my dad's told me my whole life, you have to know your history else you're doomed to repeat it. But right. in researching history, it's like, I don't know if there's any way to escape it. Yeah. That's, you know, I, that's I, true. I really don't know. There's, I think we should still try to fight it. I think definitely, that, but I don't know that we're, yeah, we're ever going right. to completely be I able to break the cycle. If you get smart enough, you can, it's like, if you look at history, there's sort of a weird algorithm to history, right? Cause mm -hmm. we keep saying everything's recycling over and over and over yeah. and it's not exactly in set hundred year blocks or whatever, mm -hmm. but I do think it's in generational blocks. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, what I think is, is that if you look back into history, in a way, you're trying to figure out what is the algorithm? Mm -hmm. How can I beat the system? Because if I can't make my, if I, the world's not going to come with you, right? Yeah. But if you can be aware of the past and aware of what's going on, then you can figure out what's going to happen in the future. And you can guide your own self and your own family mm -hmm. to try to get around certain things because it's like, oh, well, if this happened, then I'm probably there's pretty much sure that this is going to happen so many years after X event. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because if let, let's say let's take the pandemic and plagues and stuff like that, there's a weird pattern that happens it's like you have a plague or a pandemic then you have eventual economic suppression yeah you have a shift in who's got money who doesn't have money and all those things and so it's like you can kind of look at that and be like okay well what's what's next and a lot of times after a pandemic or something after there's sort of this economic shift there's war yeah so i'm imagining in the next 10 years or 20 15 years there's going to be a war yeah, because and it only most makes people sense. No one accept that as <laughs> yeah, fact. Like, yeah, we're all just waiting it's at just, this yeah, point. So. Yeah, I mean, and like after you know the um, Spanish flu, it's like, oh well, we had the twenties where everything was like money, 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 mm -hmm. you know, and then you had thirties where it was like destitute. Yeah. So it's like when we're talking about Italy, they're in the destitute area. Like Italy is in bad shape when when these poisonings and stuff happen. Yeah. It is not in good shape and you have no. a lot of people trapped in bad lives. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And that's like kind of why the protagonist of this particular story, I feel like is really important um, because of who she sympathized with. Yeah. Because of this insane system of human chess, young women were often married to much older men. Children as young as 14 were married to men in their 30s, and this disgusting practice was used to ensure the bride would be a virgin on her wedding night. However, many men of station were allowed to visit as many prostitutes as their STI-riddled hearts desired, <laughs> and boys, young boys, were unfortunately not off the table. It was very oh, sure. common, too, then. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at any economically disadvantaged mm -hmm. set of people they're gonna do what it takes to survive yeah no matter how awful it is because your choice is mm -hmm. eat or don't eat mm -hmm. you know thrive or don't thrive and you put people in that kind of situation people can get there's a really sad point part about people is that you can get used to anything yeah 
And so it's, I think it's one of those things where you can get used to anything for a hundred years. Yep. You know, a thousand years, whatever it is, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and the th- the weird, weird thing about like trauma is like when you're in it, it's kind of like, like, I, I think I was talking to my niece about this and being in trauma is kind of like when you're being, when you're in water. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You've learned how to float in it. Right. And crawling out of it is very difficult. Yeah. And I think I, like, I was talking to her about how one of the, the, the traps of trauma is it's so much easier to stay in it. Because if you think of it like, um, you're in water and you're fully clothed, Mm -hmm. right? You find a ladder and you start to try to climb up out of the water. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard because your clothes are soaked. Yeah. And it's heavy. Yeah. And it feels awful. Right. And it's exhausting. Yeah. You know? But it's that thing of the higher you climb, the more dry your clothes get, and the further away you get right, from it. Right, right. You know? And I feel like it's a really good analogy. But of course, it's mine, so that sounds horribly arrogant. But no, for, it is. For it is a good analogy. Trauma and how it affects individuals but i also think it also applies to society as well when we're Mm -hmm. in trauma we're floating in it we're used to it you know it's keeping us buoyant and 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 afloat and it's pulling out of it is painful Mm -hmm. it hurts and it's hard yeah you know and and the temptation is often just fall back into the trauma because it's comfortable yeah you know what to expect well the other thing too is that we're you're not really given the tools to when you're in a situation like whatever abusive situation you're in Mm -hmm. you are often not given the tools how to get out like you're not given survival skills on your own you are intentionally given no survival skills so you don't think that you could survive on your own you don't think you could actually survive without whatever this other trauma part is yes because and then you're blamed for not having those skills just automatically right right well yeah Yeah. they're like well you're stupid if you just didn't leave it's like okay yeah that's great if you're someone who has the mental acuity to get yourself out of that situation but if you don't then you are going to believe whatever you're being told, which is, it's your fault. It's, you know, you're not this, you're not that. If you were better, you would, you know, but people have to live their own lives, you know? And if some people choose to stay in that and they've been given opportunity to leave, at some point you have to just be like, okay, this is what you want. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're not choosing the alternatives and you've been told that they are there, if someone Mm -hmm. like showed you the ladder, Right? Yeah. And then you're like, I'm just going to stay floating here, even though I've been shown the ladder. There, I think there are people definitely in this world that like living in all this trauma. Yeah. You know, I think it's drama. They, I think there's a certain set of drama that, that people yeah. are attracted to. And I agree. And the life of tragedy. I do. And I think mainly because attached to that is the fear. The yeah. fear of like, who am I without this? Right. I yeah. don't know who I am without this pain. I don't know who I am without this, you know, this victimhood. It's like having an illness, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah. I've got this illness and that's all my life is about. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and still to a point, I still find it sympathetic, you know? Because I do. Because it is like fear driven and right. fear makes us do very many right. stupid things. <laughs> right. I'm not, yeah, I definitely feel sympathy, but I have limited sympathy. Exactly. I guess is what I'm going to say. You yeah. Know? Is like, you know, because some people, they just don't, they'll never poison their husband. They'll never do whatever it is that they're supposed to do. They'll never take their kids and go to a bus stop and get out of town, you know, or whatever it is. Exactly. 
Exactly. Even then, though, uh, if you did kill your husband, it wasn't really a guarantee that it would help anything. Right, because wouldn't they just, couldn't your family just sell you off to the next dude that came around? Yeah. Well, here's the awful part, uh, as if all of this was an awful oh, no. So, if you were unfortunate to have children with right. this man, mm-hmm. and then this man died, mm-hmm. right, the next male heir would get the estate. Right. And you would be shipped back to your family. However, your children would stay with your husband's estate. Oh, I see. That was So your awful. children were literally ripped from you. Oh, that's awful. You were sent back to your parents and then, or whoever right. was in charge of your family. Right. And then they would, again, set you up as a bartering chip for another marriage or another deal because that's, that's all you were. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You were, you were trading cards yeah you know you might have been an older or battered one but you were still you know a a vital piece of the game in some way shape or form yeah and that's the sad reality i mean i think also i mean a good point to make is that there are still places in this world that run this way oh yeah (laughs) you know there still are there's probably even people in america that live this way for some weird reason you know what i mean america actually has a huge issue with child brides that we refuse to address Yeah, i've looked at some of those laws and i'm like how is this possible it it doesn't seem like it should be no and and that's the thing like there's this outrage against pedophiles yet this is one area will nobody will address and particularly because it is so closely tied with religion i feel like so it just gets left on the table and these these young women get sold you well, know or tricked oftentimes they're like tricked and convinced oh right you know because it's that thing of like the approach of oh you're so mature for your age right, right. I, I wouldn't normally be interested in somebody your right. age but you're just so mature for your age yeah and we have such a connection yeah because ultimately these people are not creative they'll use the same tactics over and over yeah the only thing that keeps giving them an edge is that we refuse to educate young women on these tactics right well i mean and plus mostly young women are probably in not good situations to begin with if they're listening to some 35 year old 40 year old guy being like hey i know you're 12 but you know you're so special exactly your parents don't tell you're special do they no i know they didn't exactly (laughs) well and how sad it is that so many parents just allow it yeah. They know about it, and they just allow yeah. it. I think it's I remember really, really hearing sad. there was a case of this girl that got raped by this guy, and then they took her to another state where he married her, and so then they couldn't prosecute or something because she was his wife. Yeah. Even no, though it she was, was her like, father. Oh, was it her dad? Her father took her to another state. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, Because he was heck? religious, and he, because she was pregnant, and he felt she had to marry this and man this now, just, despite the fact she was like 14 or 15. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I just can't imagine. Like, my husband would have beat the brakes off of anybody yeah. Near, yeah. near my yeah. child. I know my father would have done the same. Right, but like, it's like some sort of family friend or some bullshit yeah. like that. And it's just like, man. It's creepy. you got to be it's careful so with your creepy. family friends. <laughs> yep, exactly. As you can imagine, because of the age gap, too, between young women and men at this time, there was a lot of young widows, mm-hmm. a whole lot of young widows. So it really wasn't uncommon for an Italian woman's husband to die. Right. It just wasn't. And it kind of created, like, their own system kind of created, like, their biggest weakness that, that could be exploited. Right. In this way. Well, so, and, and you have to think during the 17th century, there was a ton of death. 
Oh, yeah. You I mean, you still had the plague yeah. rolling around. You had the wars. You had... so. I mean, like, your population in Italy alone is down 20 to 50% in certain areas. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... That's a lot of people that are just gone. Yeah. And death is a normal, regular occurrence that everyone has gotten used to. Yeah. So... I mean, I guess if I was going to choose something where some people were going to die, I guess that's a good time because if everybody's dying, well, who, well, how, who knows? Why did they die? Exactly. Uh, we don't know. Everyone's dying. That's what I be saying. I don't know how he died. Everyone's dying. <laughs> yep. Yep. And despite all this horrible and dark history that we're talking about right now, this story today, this isn't really the story that we're talking about. The story today revolves around a single woman named Julia Tofana. And Julia's past is a bit of a mystery. There's strong speculation or strong reason to believe who her parentage was. Mm -hmm. I think it's just they're not able to officially confirm it kind of thing. So they have a good idea. Like I said, they just can't prove it. Historians believe that Julia was born around 1620. And they believed her parents were Francis and, forgive me for this, I'm going to do my best because it's a lot of Italian names. Thofania D'Amato. Diamato? Diamato, I think is how they say it. It's a hard D. Sounds right. Diamato. And it was true, this leads to a very interesting family tradition amongst the women of this particular family. Which I think actually gives more credence to what her parentage really was. Yeah. Yep. I say this because in 1633, the woman believed to be Julia's mother was executed for poisoning Francis, her husband. It was believed that Francis was an abusive and violent drunk who often beat his wife and daughter. Kind of a um, interesting beginning to this particular yeah. historical figure, and how very prominent she was during this time period, and why she's kind of important and a bit controversial. Yeah, there's a there was a lot of back and forth, and I think I was telling you earlier, depending on what I was reading or or the was researching. Yeah, the source of it. There were very different tones. Wow. Very different tones. That's interesting. Yeah, and we'll kind of get into that. And as, you've had as several hundred on. years to be like to have this tone changed over time. Too. Yeah, and it hasn't. And that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's startling. So it's said that that Julia was very beautiful, and she did get married, and she was eventually widowed. Now, from everything I've researched, it didn't seem like there was any sort of concern over whether or not it was a natural death with her husband. Mm. Nothing I saw suggested that there was any foul play involved in the death of her husband. So. After her husband died, she moved in with her daughter, who is Girolama Spara, in Naples. It's around this time Julia set up uh, her first shop. You see, after her parents died, Julia spent a lot of time in apothecaries. And I'm going to fuck up that word. <laughs> I know. That's, that's one a tough of those words I have a tough one. Yeah. yeah. Where she would watch and learn as they made many different concoctions. And by all accounts, Julia had a knack for this. Eventually, she began selling her most infamous product known as Aqua Tofana. Was Aqua Tofana exotic perfume, a miracle skin cream, or perhaps an amazing healing elixir? Nope. In <laughs> fact, Aqua Tofana was a very deadly poison that Julia had refined to be very subtle and very slow acting. And now some claim it wasn't her recipe, but her mother's that she was use- using. And there's no historical anything one way or another, no, no evidence one way or another to prove that it was hers or her mother's or maybe just something she picked up from being in multiple chemists, mm, you know, shops. Right. So and that's an easier word, so I'm going to be using chemist instead. Yeah, so. yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah, there's no way, of course, to be sure whether or not. We do know, however, that the ingredients of aqua tofana were lead, 
belladonna and arsenic. Right, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's Which were actually deadly. in makeup back then anyway, just not in those amounts, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we still today, we don't know what her exact recipe was. Right, right. Because, of course, these ingredients, if you prepare them differently, will have different effects. Right. I know belladonna in particular can be used as a pain reliever when it's mm. used correctly. Right. So it's... Pretty much too much of anything could probably kill you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And even the way it's prepared and what it's mixed with mm. can change, like, the chemical Oh, I see compounds. And yeah. Ah. So there is definitely, like, the more I looked at poison making in general, it was definitely an art form. There's There was a lot of subtleties to it that you had to know. Right. In order to be good at it and be effective at it. It's not as simple as just mixing some ingredients together and then, like, throwing it at people. Yeah. It was much, much more involved. It was a much more of a process. Right. Uh, poison making is it, one of those things where, like, looking at it, holy crap. They, yeah. It wasn't just a little bit of effort. This was a lot of effort and a lot of skill involved in doing this. Well, I think that also lends to the idea of her parentage and whatnot, because a mm-hmm. lot of recipes and whatnot were handed down from in families yeah so i don't know if they call them like inheritance poisons or something but it's like and how and i know the term inheritance powders maybe kind of that's came up what a few it times. was yeah. yeah and i didn't really like go into like researching and i should have but when i thought about that i was like oh well that makes sense it's probably just recipe that you keep within your family mm-hmm. you know it's like kfc <laughs> you know yeah exactly. kfc is a secret <laughs> recipe you know good spices right, of the deadly right. and, and you think that like truly with like all the economy being bad like you would hold any sort of secret edge you had on anybody else yep. and you would keep it within your family so that your family could keep prospering you know what I mean so yeah it makes some sense exactly of course being a poison maker during this time wasn't much good without a clientele so Julia's <laughs> clientele was mainly the abused and unhappy mistreated wives of the Renaissance in particular the bulk of her clients were poor women of low status and this is where a lot of the debate comes in mm. because Julia had a pretty extensive network. It wasn't just, you know, there's some arguments as to whether or not she was just had a few distributors or whether she had an entire giant network across Naples or Rome because she operated in two different places. Right. And so it's debated as to whether or not she ran this huge criminal 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 (laughs) underground. That's a new word now. (laughs) But uh, this, yeah, this whole kind of criminal syndicate. Or she was just kind of this sympathetic figure who was like, yeah, your husband's a bastard, so is my dad. Here, right, take this yeah, poison, you yeah. know? Allow me to help you, you In know? In a way, it kind of reminded me of the real Underground Railroad in this really strange way where it's like a secret network of people trying to help other people be sort of released from slavery. Yeah. And so I kind of look at, she, I mean, I'm not sure if saying she's a Harriet Tubman type is like what anyone would agree yeah, with. I, but I do think that the sentiment wasn't really like, Oh, well if you leave him, you can just go over there and yeah. he'll leave you alone. There was no getting anywhere. There was nowhere to go. No. So you had to deal with your situation where you were. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I, I mean, like, I'm sure some people ran away and disappeared, but I just don't think that that was something that there was nowhere really to go that women had sovereignty. Exactly. Like, you had no money, you had no resources, and a woman alone? Yeah. Like, 
you had no power. No. You couldn't get a job. You couldn't. I mean, you might. You could be a prostitute. Yeah, but that know? was really like, about the only yeah. working occupation. Yeah, you can, had yeah exactly. You could probably be a prostitute. There's probably some other things that you could do, but I imagine those jobs are really, really hard to get. Yeah. Well, I know, like, one of my favorite Renaissance painters is a female. Mm-hmm. Um, Artemisa, I want to say Genovese, but I don't know if that's mm-hmm. accurate. Mm-hmm. It was really long and complicated. <laughs> yeah, she, but she was born into a family of painters, mm. which I feel was one of the only reasons that any of it was, you know, why, why she was ever taken seriously. Oh, right, right. But she was a great painter. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, and this is a side note, not, not really here nor there, but one of the kind of defining arcs of her story, which is sad that it's a defining arc mm-hmm. was she was raped mm. and it was reflected largely in her work. Mm. However, her father did something that was absolutely unheard of at the time and actually stood beside her during the trial Oh wow! and actually said, Hey, no, this was wrong. Right. This was a crime. This yeah. was assault. Yeah. This shouldn't have happened. Right. And that was unfucking heard of. That's crazy. Especially in Italian society, because even to this day, in more remote parts of Italy, mm-hmm. there's a problem with if a woman is raped by a man, her family then insists that she marry that man. That's just awful. Yeah. There's a lot of parts of the world where that goes on. Oh, yeah. But it's a huge problem in even Italy in this because country. <laughs> it's a very, very old tradition. Yeah. You know? Again, we to say we're civilized. Yeah, but, but we're, we're really not. No. No. And there's, if you've ever heard the story of the, the, I think again, she was an Italian woman who was, she would make soap from people's bodies. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Her mother was a noble woman mm-hmm. who had been raped by a poor man. Mm-hmm. And then her family forced her mother to marry this poor man. Oh, wow. And this man like abused her, mistreated her and, and her family did nothing to help her because to them it was her fault. Right. Right. And it's like, that is a very gross and problematic tradition that is still around. That's because, like, it all goes back to Eve. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole viewpoint that, like, women are a temptation that men just can't help themselves. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? I call BS on that. Exactly. I'm sorry. It is BS. You can tell me you're an oversex maniac, but, you know, you're still a maniac. Yeah. And I don't <laughs> you know what I mean? why more men don't get offended by the notion that they aren't intelligent enough to have their own autonomy. Right. They can't control their baser instincts. Exactly. Right. Because, like, shouldn't but, that be, like, very insulting? Yeah, you would think that, but a lot of men <laughs> pride themselves on, you know, being maniacs yeah, <laughs> so and being like, wild yeah, and, and yeah. not having the intelligence to control themselves yeah yeah which is weird because it, it's, it's like man, that's, weird. Not, <laughs> that's just weird but i think that that there's this whole there, it's still around this whole idea of like i can't tell you how many times i hear this said where they talk about how well you know for a really long time making money and everything was on the man and so men are built a certain way because for so many centuries men have had to be the leaders because they were the strong ones right and that i can't tell you how many times i've heard this argument oh yeah and i think to myself why don't you tell that shit to some single mom who gets no help from her kids raising her kids by themselves working full time and you're saying oh we had to run the country and fight the wars and you guys got to stay at home and wipe babies butts and it's like hey 
That's yeah. because we weren't you because you're physically stronger than us. That's it. Yeah. Fear is what kept women from doing their own thing. Exactly. And the paradox of that now is that especially in media, like single fathers are raised up as some sort of like supernatural yeah. god. They're like yeah. It, you know, if they do it on their own, holy crap, and how do rarely, they do that? They and must be miracle workers. I like, hear it. Exactly. Yeah. But, like, women do it all the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and don't get any of that praise. Yeah, it's like, oh, too bad you couldn't keep your man. Exactly. <laughs> you exactly. Know what I mean? It's like, wow. That is, that is largely the awful attitude. Yeah. Like, so, oh, I guess you should have picked better. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know. Closed your legs and picked better because then you wouldn't be a single mom, now would you? Exactly. Like, like these assholes aren't taught from birth how to do this. Right. Exactly. Right, it's yeah. like, all right. All right, whatever. You keep lying to yourself. But it's crazy but. that people... I mean, like, this just tells you, like, the opinions and stuff, they're still there. From, yeah. like, the 16 and earlier to today, yeah. That those opinions are still there. And a lot of it's just a psychological mind game. It is, yeah. I think it's what it contributes to, to how... I know particularly for you, too, it's the same way. How much you end up valuing genuine people. Yeah. You know? And people who man or woman mm-hmm. are just genuine human beings yeah you know fake people it's the worst yeah it is the worst you run into fake people and it's like man i can just tell you're fake you are exactly. sitting there and you're fake 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 and it's not fake in a way that's defensive it's just you're fake yeah you don't have you don't know how to there. human <laughs> yeah yeah without it's, this veneer right it's, yeah it's it's really putting yeah and you're right it's a in, they're ingenuine about stuff and it's like yeah. man yeah and I think just the only difference is we're getting better and better at detecting it right so it ends up that you have a smaller and smaller circle because it's like I just know that like I see it and I'm like man I don't want that in my life whatever you're yeah. selling I'm good because I know it ain't real Exactly. I, you don't have your own opinions you don't have your own whatever you are like spoon fed everything who you think you are yeah and i'm like man it takes one real life changing thing to happen to that person and then they sometimes are able to be like whoa i was totally like not on task i was totally wrong but i found like a lot of people just aren't strong enough to admit they're wrong no i think admitting you're wrong takes a certain strength that people just don't have no you know and and really self-examining and looking at the places that you know, they fucked up. Yeah. But, it, you know, that's just, I think, a big part of just human nature in general is we don't like being wrong. No. We don't I think like... That's a really yeah. good point. No, they don't like being wrong. Oops, sorry for kicking yeah. your foot. Oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> it, but, it, yeah, I mean, apologies are hard. People don't like making apologies. People don't like admitting that that they were wrong and, and that they had a problem with any of it. And it's it's sad. But it's it's not <laughs> right. a new issue no, by any no. stretch. I mean, like think, so, people still don't want to say they're sorry for slavery. It's like, well, I'm not involved in anything with slavery. Yeah, yeah. I know, but man, I'm sorry those people went through that. You yeah. think in this period of time there was a lot of stuff about black masses and sorcery. There and, is and all yes. sorts of stuff. So I, that, there is that correlation. Of, Once more, of why right. this is all relevant and why it's all history repeating itself. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah, that's actually really, really interesting because that does come up later. So, um, yeah. And so going back to, like, 
Julia's defense, mm-hmm. I suppose, is a lot of people pointed out that she very much could have catered to a richer clientele because it was very much also going on in the upper classes. Right. It, it was very common. And I actually have another story that I will tell you, tell you after this one, and mm-hmm. uh, I think we talked about it a little bit um, last night, where it's a good counterbalance to it that kind of, to me at least, proves that Julia had at least some good intent, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the bulk of her client were low-born women. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and to me, that's really telling. Yeah. Because that's never where money is. Right. You know? No. And there was no shortage of people wanting what she had. There's did, no shortage of rich people wanting what she had. Did they ever mention how much she charged for any of this? Or did she? Did they ever mention No, they that? never brought up they never brought up anything like that. Right. So I, I don't know how much she made or didn't make mm. on it. Not that it makes a difference. I just wondered I hadn't read anything about that. Yeah. I do know that she would actually go as far as to instruct her clients on mm-hmm. how to use the poison effectively, how to use it so it wasn't obvious, mm-hmm. and how to behave while the poisoning was going on. Oh. And then after their husband's death. Including she would sometimes recommend to her clientele, hey, uh, tell them that you want an examination done of your husband's body. Right. You know. Like an autopsy type thing. Exactly. Probably without the autopsy, but sort yeah, of Yeah, because they didn't really <laughs> yeah. do that then. You know. But, yeah. <laughs> Did tell he turn them, black? What happened to him? Is he purple? What's going on? Exactly. But that was also kind of the frightening thing about it all, is Julia knew that her poison was colorless, odorless, and tasteless. So right. it was impossible to detect, but it also didn't leave any calling cards on the body right so like i know like some um calling cards will leave very specific tells right i want to say i think it was arsenic or something like that it's supposed to when the body of course discharges Mm -hmm. you know all of the remaining you know fluids and whatnot yeah that the fecal matter has a very strong garlic odor and that Mm. was how it was commonly detected oh you know and this Aquatofana didn't do that. Right. There was no way to detect it with the technology they that's had at scary. the time. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean that's terrifying. It had to be terrifying for the men in power at the time yeah. too. Because and again I, t- I think I talk about this later. It was a great equalizer. Right. Suddenly, you know, rich and abusive lords had to fear their servants. Right. You know, they had to fear their wives. Right. You know, a widespread panic went through for men that were in power. Well, because I, not only could you not detect it, you couldn't fight back against right. it. Right, you didn't even know it was used against you. Exactly, and there was a very, very, very good chance that whoever killed you was going to get away with it. Mm. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah. I, and honestly, like, I can't tell you how many times Scott has basically said, like, <laughs> he's always been like, poisoning is the worst way to die. Mm-hmm. Like, he has always been like, you know, poisoning is the coward's way out. Poisoning is... Is you know because and you know in his mind poisoning is e- equating to great great suffering. Yeah. It's like to him he's like just shoot me in the face. Don't poison me. Just shoot me in the face, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, the idea. But I don't believe. I mean, I think this made people ill, mm-hmm. but I don't think that this made people like have convulsions or 
Like, I think people just got a little bit, like, I think they died within a couple days, right, of of being this administered? It depends on how it was administered, Mm. and uh, that's actually something that we touch on, too. Mm -hmm. It was so very slow-acting and so subtle that it was always, almost always thought of as illness. Mm. It was slow-acting enough that most of the time, the husbands thought they were just naturally dying. Wow. And they would begin to get their affairs in order. Plus they would get old. their wills set they're up. They're 35. They're old now. Yeah, right? <laughs> Man, that dude's 40. He's, he's knocking yeah. on death's door. He's got a gray hair. Know, that exactly. guy's going. Get, a, get the awkward Exactly. <laughs> oh, God. But yeah, so they even had time to get their affairs in order. They could get their wills together. They could get their estates together and everything like that. And then they would pass. And they would be accepting the whole time that they were just sick and dying. Hmm. As That's was common and natural during that time. Right. They're like, well, everybody's dying, so it's your turn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's just my turn, I guess. So we do know, too, that Julia sold Aquatofana as um, a perfume at one point in time. And then she sold it as like a healing elixir at another time. Mm-hmm. So um, I do believe at one point she had a, a like a powder. Like a con- I thought it was like a cosmetic. Yeah, like a cosmetic, like a powder. Yeah. Um, like it was in like a compact, I think. And um, that was harder to use from what I understand. And it was much um, less consistent, mm-hmm. I guess. But the, the liquid was much easier and much simpler. Mm. So... Probably because you didn't have to mix it with anything. Exactly. You didn't have to. You just like a couple drops in whatever they were eating or drinking and you were Yeah, because I think you had to like so. scrape the powder out. Yeah. And I imagine that. And even be, then you have to make sure you're getting the right amount of right, powder. Right. And don't powder. Like, don't kill yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Don't powder your face. I don't know this. if it's an inhalant or not, but man, I can't imagine it would be good to be breathing that stuff either. No, no, it couldn't have been. It, it couldn't have been. And like I said, Julia would actually instruct her clients on how to behave during this time. Things they would do to make themselves look less suspicious. So it was almost impossible to catch poisoners. Mm. Again, there were no signs on the body. And there was no way to prove it, really. It just presented as illness. It was almost the perfect crime in a lot of ways. Well, it it went on for decades, did it not? So it was the perfect crime for a really long time. Oh, yeah. Like, if she quit earlier, she probably, everything would have been, who knows if this would have even been talked about. Yeah. Well, she operated in Rome for 18 years. Yeah, I mean, that's a really long time. That's, I'm not sure how long she operated in Naples, but she operated in Rome for 18 years. Yeah. So, that, yeah, that's quite a span. Of course, the only way that really you would catch somebody uh, is if you could get a confession. And if that sounds ominous, it really should, because unfortunately that brings us to Julia's downfall. Right. The story goes that one of Julia's clients had a guilty conscience. When the woman was attempting to poison her husband, she got cold feet and knocked whatever he was drinking out of his hand. Then he demanded to know why. When she wouldn't answer, he proceeded to beat her until she confessed. And he did take her and turn her into authorities. Right. The morbid part of me does wonder if she had just wished she had gone through with it. Yeah. Well, you know? I'd be like, well, I think that she got killed, right? They executed her, right? Oh, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, yeah I think I'd be like, well, you know, I should have just gone through with it. But yeah. then again, if someone tried to kill me, I'd be turning them into the authorities, too. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those weird things, it's, I guess. It's, I guess that it's kind of like her mercy is what got her killed. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yep. Uh, once she confessed, of course, she had to tell people where she got the poison from. And unfortunately, that led uh, papal authorities to Julia's door. 
However, Julia was either so popular, beloved, or people were so afraid of her being captured and then outing them that the women of Italy kind of banded together and helped her escape. Mm. She was given warning, so she fled to a church where she claimed sanctuary. And unfortunately, as you can imagine, this did not sit well, especially with the male aristocracy, Mm -hmm. because this was a woman who fought back. Right. You know, I mean, it, well, she'd it be really the antithesis was. of everything they would hate. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. She was claiming sanctuary in a Roman, in Rome, in a church. Right. You know, you think that would be enough to protect her, but it wasn't. No. This became a sensational story, spread like wildfire, and a sort of panic ensued from there. And then a rumor started that Julia had poisoned the water supply for the town she was in which is stupid because she had to drink that water too right that's a good point it's not like they had bottled water yeah yeah, she's like i've got dasani so i'm exactly i'm gold (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's stupid um but it was enough that it actually caused papal authorities to break into the church to apprehend her and that like i i wish i could like just emphasize how Massive, yeah, that was right to break into a church in Rome, right? Yeah, right, you know, yeah. A, I think it tells you how much power these men had, Mm -hmm. and B, it tells you how much this this hysteria had kind of gripped everything, yeah, you know, that was going on in Rome at the time, yeah. So, um, of course, once they got a hold of Julia, they started torturing her. Because if the story doesn't involve torture, it probably didn't yeah, happen plus, in the 17th yeah. century. They've got decades of, or centuries of it already. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, the Spanish Inquisition was, like, going on. Yep, yep. Certain, I think it was, I don't, I think it was still going on then, but it was at least they came from that. Yeah. Under this torture, um, it was said she confessed to killing 600 men. However, this number is highly suspect due to, of course, the torture and the widespread sensationalism of the case. So many don't believe this number. I don't know, honestly, because I kind of broke it down. And she was in Rome between 1633 and 1651, which, like I said, was around 18 years. This was mean she would have to help kill roughly 33 men a year or two to three men a month for 18 years. Hmm. So... I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, when, when I put it like that, it sounds plausible. Right. You know, to make three sales. Right. In a month. Yeah. Doesn't seem extraordinary. No. Months so really long. Yeah. You could do three in a day. Yeah. So that's where it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if the number <coughs> is exaggerated. And right. if it is exaggerated, I don't know which direction. Right. You know? Yeah. I don't know. It, it, you, I don't think any will ever know. Yeah. No, and I don't think that it's possible that they could. So... In July of 1659, Julia, her daughter, who helped her during a lot of this, and three of their helpers were executed. And after her execution, her body was actually thrown over the wall of the church who had offered her sanctuary. Wow. Some of those, of course, who had bought her potions were arrested and executed, and anyone who was seen as an accomplice was bricked up in the dungeons of the Palazzo Pussy. The Palazzo was located in central Florence in the region of Tuscany. Being bricked up was kind of fucking awful. Right, yeah. Uh, That is awful. Yeah. And I think if you were lucky, there was a small slit that they could slide 
food through, but that was right, it. Right. You were bricked like up in a room brick. <laughs> with no windows yeah. and no doors. Right. Yeah, and, and literally just one brick. Sometimes if you were very unlucky, there were no anything. Right, you know? right. It was a solid fucking wall. So you were bricked up in a dark room, just left to start. I mean, imagine how many people, yeah. like, husbands actually died of natural causes after this comes out, and then... They're arresting people who they think are, you know, involved and people who they think used it on their husbands and stuff. And so it's kind of like a witch hunt. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I imagine they just went after, oh, well, she's a widow and she's got lots of land. Let's just include her in this because we can get her taken care of and take her stuff. Because, of course, at that time, the church is just trying to gobble up as much, like, wealth as it can. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting because it very much ties into our second story. Whereas this is the end of Julia's story. It's not the end of the story of poisons in the 17th century, particularly in Europe. Uh, So while doing a lot of research for this, it was all ringing bells for me. It rang some bells because a similar story from the same timeline had popped up in one of my favorite YouTube channels. I think I've recommended it a few times, and I still do. I love it. I know it's a weird concept to a lot of people, mm-hmm. but Puppet History, yeah, yeah, it's a good show. It is good. <laughs> Shane does a I really the good same job. Thing. I was like, man, this is cool. <laughs> yeah, I love Puppet History. Yeah. But most of my research came from the show uh, and this mm-hmm. particular story, mm-hmm. just because he had he had been so thorough. Yeah, and he had it was it's a complicated. It back and forth tale yeah, yeah. and I, I did back up some of it do some more research and other you know got from other resources that did explain things i think really well and in some cases cleared some things up i think i'm gonna go into that this whole event was called the affair of the poisons we'll start it's basically we'll start around 1670 francis king louis the 14th was in power and lead us to say being in the king's inner circle was a desirable thing you know it was exactly where a woman named Marie Magdalene Marguerite d'Aubry found herself. While she was the daughter of a very respected and powerful magistrate, it just wasn't enough for Marie. She also wanted to be a nobility. And this, you can already tell, is a very marked difference right. from the situation with Julia and the women that she was selling right. to. Right, yeah. You know? Very different. Very. Whereas this woman, well, I'm sure it wasn't much better as far as like them being treated like property, still had some aspirations it seemed and some enough autonomy to play a game right right with the whole system while she was oh sorry i read that part it wasn't enough for me she also wanted to be nobility she was determined to get it in 1651 she married antoine goblin goblin Sorry, it's a goblin because they were making fun I of know, his name yeah. the whole episode. They kept calling him Tony Goblins, and I was like, that's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't say it without laughing because all I want to say is Tony Goblins. What was the water? I can't remember the water. But slaughter water. Slaughter water, yes. the band. I was like, slaughter water. <laughs> it needs to be a damn band. It, does. it has yeah. to now. But yeah. uh, Death Chemist was the other oh, one. Oh, yeah, that Death Chemist is a badass band name. That would be. That would be such a cool name. He had many titles that made him an official member of the aristocracy, and I'm not going to get into all of them because I couldn't pronounce most <laughs> yeah, of them. Yeah. So it, this made her a very, him a very attractive prospect to her. And despite all of this, he wasn't really a good man. Or, no. Or a well-respected man. I think she was forced to marry him, wasn't she? I, I didn't get the gist that she, this was a guy that she really wanted to marry. From a few things that I had, it was it was a fortuitous match for her family, but she did also... She wanted the title, She wanted the but, status right, that okay. came with him. She didn't want okay. him, but she wanted right, the status right. and his money. He, However, Goebbels, or Goblin, 
Thanks, Shane. Um, <laughs> was often described as weak as water, without morals, and as unstable as sand. And uh, those aren't anything yeah. anybody wants to use no. to describe their character. Yeah. That hurts, man. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even directed at me. Historically speaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. However, he was Marie's best shot at climbing that social ladder. Proof, I guess, that money can't buy you everything. You know, you you don't get charm. So Marie ended up taking a lover because, of course, she did. She took up with an officer named, and again, I'm going to fuck this up because it's French. And I, (laughs) that that wasn't, I I wasted, I took uh, Japanese. And I've never used Japanese a day in my fucking life. Yeah. Yeah. Godin de Saint-Croix. And I know it's awful. And I apologize. So <laughs> her family found out because they weren't exactly subtle about the whole affair. Her father ordered them to stop before more people found out and she shamed the family. But of course, the couple didn't stop seeing each other. So Marie's father had her lover thrown in jail. While in prison, her lover met a man who taught him how to make poisons. And eventually he became very, very good at it. Which is an interesting point. Because they're blaming all these women. But I'm like, yeah. wait a minute. Did they ever look into, like, maybe this guy was, like, the head of all this since he's the mm. one who knew how to do it? Yeah. I mean, like, that was just one of those things I thought, well, they just kind of skim over him and say, oh, well, he learned from someone in prison. And then, yeah. But then I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. You know? Where did the guy in prison learn it? Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. They're blaming us all on women. Wait a minute. There's a man involved? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this is where, this is kind of where, again, the tones are wildly different between Julia's story and this one. Right, and because they're not... Because in Julia's story, like, they mentioned that there were other poisoners going right. on at the time, but there was never a mention that some of them might be male. Right, and, and honestly, they're not that far apart in time at all. I mean, this is, like, no. a few years apart, no. I'm guessing. Like, I don't know. Let's see. Uh, 59 and we're in 70. Yeah. So, it's not that far apart. Mm-mm. But, not at you all. know, it's... It's just weird how it's like, they just like, oh no, women are just, you're the poisoners. Yep. Yep. Eventually her boyfriend, uh, learning how to do all this, inspired Marie to learn herself. And she also horribly had a knack for it. She became very proficient. Even more disgusting though, was how she tested these poisons. You see, Marie volunteered at a public hospital. That was a common thing for aristocratic women to do. They would often read stories or talk to patients, just do little things to try to make them as comfortable as possible. Poisoning, however, wasn't on that list. That wasn't supposed to be a service they offered. However, she would use them as test subjects to see how effective her poison was. That's crazy. And because they were sick, nobody ever really questioned it. Right. Yeah. I thought she used it on her family. She does eventually. Oh, eventually. Yeah. Right now she's on the testing phase. Ah, I see. So she used it on the patients at the hospital initially to test it and on her own servants. That's crazy. Once she felt she had perfected her deadly potions, she decided to use it on her family. Mm. So, yep. She used her skills to murder her father in 1666 and then her brothers later in 1670. Because this would mean that her husband essentially was the next living male heir. So mm. he would get the fortune. Thus, she, she would get, would the, get fortune. the fortune. And it, from what I researched, it kind of seemed like her husband was like a real weak personality that she could just run right over. It sounds like it. And, you know, so essentially it was her money. Yeah. At, at yeah. that point, you know. She also tries multiple times, though, to kill her husband. However, he had a very unlikely guardian angel in the form of Marie's lover. Oh, 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 my God. Right, right. Yeah. I forgot about that. 
You see, her lover didn't actually want to marry her. So he would <laughs> frequently give Marie's husband the antidote whenever he realized what she was That's up to. crazy. Yeah. Eventually, Sancroix died in 1672 under mysterious circumstances, and this was very bad news for Marie. From what I understand, they don't know if she poisoned him or if he accidentally poisoned himself while mm. he was trying to make a new concoction. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, like I said, he eventually died, and they weren't sure of the circumstances. So this led to an investigation into his death, and that led the authorities into finding correspondence between him and Marie mm. and just other forms of evidence other other why would you keep documentation correspondence, you idiots you never leave the evidence right yeah. not to mention i mean i imagine he probably was writing down his recipes and things like that you know probably. the ingredients right. what he found more effective and what he didn't that would be very incriminating yeah of course marie had to flee after this uh, and she ended up in a convent. Of course, this wasn't enough to save her. Eventually, she was found, captured, and put on trial for her various crimes. She was not allowed a lawyer during this time, and her trial took place over a course of two and a half months. She was executed at 7 p.m. July 16th of 1676, and it's estimated around 100,000 people came to spectate. Wow. The reason was because this was a pretty big deal. Nobility didn't get sentenced to death. It was very rare. She spoke to the crowd claiming she was unfairly being punished for a crime that was commonly taking place in the home of Parisians everywhere. She was executed via guillotine and her body was then burnt. Her words had a rather large impact on the crowd, however. You see, poison, like I said earlier, was the great equalizer. It could make the rich fear the poor. It could make men fear women. And traditionally... That didn't happen. Right. The poor and women were victims. Right. And this gave them a power that not only could these men not fight back against, it wouldn't matter if they did get murdered because there'd be no way to prove who did right. it or how it was done. And right. I imagine, too, like, if you're in a position of power like that, it's going to be real hard to narrow down who hates you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. which of all of the people yeah. that hate you, yeah. hate you more to, enough to poison you, yeah, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they had, what, uh, food tasters and whatnot because they were yeah. so worried about that sort of thing. Yep. So all this panic led to the king putting his chief of police a man named Nicholas Gabriel Delarini in charge of a special commission to seek out potential poison makers. And in 1679, the chief got his first big break. He received a tip from a lawyer named Mantra Perra, and I think I said that right, I tried to write it out phonetically, but who claimed two women that were at a dinner party he was attending boasted about being poison makers and distributors. That's crazy. <laughs> like, how? How? <laughs> yeah. Seriously, like... Criminals sometimes are very stupid. Well, I, I, I also, I wonder if it's not stupidity, but that was how they caught clients. Mm -hmm. Is I think that they probably feel people out a little bit and then they're like, you know, I have this little side gig because maybe you'd be interested. Yeah. You know, you never know where, because people are stupid, yeah. but also they're like, they want certain things in life and they're like well you know you got to find new clients somehow and i wonder if, yep. if if she did this because she thought oh you know he, I, might, I, he might be, be a, a potential client yeah well he wasn't so. no no she, she made a bad call there or she was drunk or she was drunk <laughs> that's possible too according to to um Parat, they were actually talking and boasting about it all through the party maybe or maybe she they were just really comfortable and it was that common that yeah. they just figured everybody knew right it could be you know 
Well, it doesn't sound like the lawyer immediately went to the authorities. I mean, when he was contacted, I mean, eventually the Louis puts this guy in charge of investigating, and then yeah, and then so, the I lawyer eventually goes to the chief of police. Yeah, it, the two women in question were a woman named Marie Virgo, who was a wet nurse to the nobility for a long time, and later turned to uh, being a fortune teller to make a living. The second woman was a name, a woman named Marie Osei. So many fucking Maries. I know, I know. So yeah, many yeah. goddamn yeah. Maries. It's not, not Marie. even funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Bosset wasn't just any fortune teller. She was also the widow of a, of a prominent horse trader. And when he died, she became pretty much the premier fortune teller in Paris mm. at the time. So she was very popular. Right. Um, which was interesting then that she turned to making poisons, I guess. Right. So she also, and I found this really interesting, spent time in jail for being a counterfeiter, too. Oh, really? Yeah. So she was a well-rounded she, criminal. Yeah. <laughs> she was into a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. Lying to people about their fortunes. Right. And it, being a counterfeiter and a poison maker. It's like, wow. Okay, yeah. So your moral compass is just broken. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's the same woman, but one of them, they... She was a fortune teller, and before she was, like, started making poisons and stuff. And so, you know, she said that as a fortune teller, she learned three things. That the three things people always wanted. Mm-hmm. They wanted someone to fall in love with them. Mm-hmm. They wanted someone to die. Mm-hmm. Or they wanted someone to die so that they could be with someone that they loved. Yeah. And so then it was, like, through fortune telling, she made this connection of, oh, I can sell poisons. And or or whatever it was, so because those were the things that she encountered the most that people wanted, mm-hmm. and I thought, man, that's a really interesting viewpoint it, on things. That is, and it probably was Bosay because, from what I understand, she was the most talkative of the two. It she did a been. lot of talking, but under the circumstances, I kind of can't blame her. Right. Yeah. As soon as they were caught, they were well. Unsurprisingly, they were arrested January 4th of 1679. And I think it was, it had to be like an effort to save themselves, you know, but they were also under torture. So Mm -hmm. they just started naming names. Right. You know, telling a lot of wild stories. And I imagine some of it was pretty unbelievable, but it it, it just gets so crazy from here. Many of these folk were also fortune tellers. A lot of the fortune tellers made potions. They did love spells, things like that like little rituals, just things that they, they basically sold to Parisians. Right. You know? Right. Artifacts, kind of, relics, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were also chemists, so some of them did did do things like, you know, headache powders right. and things like that. Yeah. You know, whatever people needed at the time. And I imagine, you know, doing a little poison on the side was a good way to make a little extra money, you right. know? So, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I find it interesting that a lot of, like, this... It's this weird slide of providing love potions to abortions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a really weird... It's like the duality of of these things yeah. that are being provided. From I'm the like, same source. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It is interesting. And I find that really interesting. Yeah. But it, to me, it, at the same time, it speaks of that it was just money. It yeah. was just money. Yeah. You know, they just wanted the cash. Right. And they weren't particularly picky about how they obtained it. <laughs> yeah, so. I don't think so. Yeah. I thought the other thing that was interesting is like when they talked about um, the investigation into all this stuff, it's kind of like they uncovered this like secret layer of 
power yeah. that was not in the traditional sense of power that it was like an underworld power yep. that was going on and they didn't have control over that none and i think it was kind of shocking to some of people in society or whatever being mm-hmm. like wow mm-hmm. there's some undercurrent that is controlling you know uh some moves that are happening that are affecting everything yep. else yeah and it's not the men in power no that are part of it. There's so that had to be absolutely fucking terrible. Well, what I read, them. what was interesting, is in both of the cases, is that there was mention that some priests, renegade priests, weren't involved in some of these networks, mm-hmm. saying that there were some people that were in the church that basically helped facilitate some of the networks and stuff. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting. Like they, they kind of. They don't go into depth, and they're not exactly sure how much or what, but that there was definite hints that there were... Now, that could also just be yeah. somebody... I mean, let's throw somebody in that we don't like. Yeah. You know? Get rid of them. They're a little too fringe. I gotta say, it, does, it also doesn't surprise me, though, because, like, the church was, is, was not, a, not a holy paragon. You know, I know like people like to think of that, but the church during that time was just another political power. Right. That was it. I mean, think you know, it was a repository for the younger sons, essentially, that you couldn't marry off into more advantageous connections. Right. Well, you had to give one of your was it your second or I don't know. There's some kid who's that you are designated. You're going to be in the church. So they would just because they had money. So the church wanted children of wealthy families. Yep. For connections. Yeah. Yeah. And that, of course, led to big donations, things like that. And tip for tap. Yeah. You know, well, I'll donate to you, but you have to do this for me. Okay, well, I'll do this for you, but then you have to do this for me. And then back and forth and back and forth. And it just became a tangled web. I can imagine that some of those guys that had to become priests or whatever are like, well, you know, I got forced into this, so maybe yeah. I know what it's like to be forced in a situation that I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I'll help you guys do what you're doing because maybe they could, like, feel like, oh, yeah, I feel what that situation is. Mm-hmm. You never know. You never know. And it could be just, like, very a few cases. Who knows? Yeah. And that's actually kind of interesting because um, Shane also had another show when he was working for BuzzFeed mm-hmm. um, that was called Ruining History. Mm. And he did a whole episode on, on terrible popes and, mm. like, all of the shit that they did. There's a lot of them. There's a, yeah, it's a lot. And it, particularly simony, selling positions mm-hmm. in the church to other people. Right. It was supposed to be a really bad thing, but, like, it was common. Yeah. Lots, lots of people did it. Right. It was... You know, if you were caught, it was frowned upon. Right, And I think that's the only time, like, it was ever really considered. Like, they didn't go seek it out. Right. You were only... You were only punished if you were stupid enough to get caught. Seemed to be the overall (laughs) attitude toward all of that. Right. They sort of treat criminals that way, this way. Uh... Only the dumb criminals get caught. Exactly. Yeah. That's very much, yeah. Yeah. I think it's... You know, we don't see a lot of blue-collar... Criminals, criminals no, that, you know, or white-collar criminals smart. that go to jail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, these post-Jamaicans and chemists were finding themselves on the wrong end of the law, you know. This was drawing a lot of attention to them that they didn't really want for obvious reasons. And again, if this is sounding all a little bit familiar, they started throwing names out. Right. You know, to save themselves. And again, this is sounding familiar. 
think of the witch trials. Right, exactly. Same thing. Yep. People were like arrested and tortured, and in an effort to save themselves, they just started throwing out names. Well, the other thing too is they keep bringing up like black magic. Oh, they're having like you know black masses and all sorts yep. of like they're all worshiping Satan. And again, that's right into like Salem witch trials and all that sort of thing. It's yep. like, well, we always got to bring Satan into it, you know? Yeah, and and that was the other thing. Like a lot of these people were charged with is not just being poison makers, but being witches. Ah, oh, right. That was a real common charge to be laid on somebody who was a poison maker right. because it was seen as. You were doing rituals. You were doing right. yeah, exact black magic, yeah. things like that. And to be fair, they did kind of set themselves up for it because if you have something that you literally call your love potion, yeah. what, yeah. if, what do you think is going to happen? You know, sticking it. Or a love ritual. Well, yeah, that's right. going to associate you then with black magic. Plus, so people, I think the difference, of course, is that in, in this case, there were people that were actually guilty yeah, of doing this yeah, and in the witch yeah. trials. There was a whole lot of innocent right. women that didn't, didn't deserve any yeah. of that. So, And I think that the other thing, too, is just the nature of poison and um, chemistry in general. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't really understand how things worked. Mm-hmm. So, if you... The, the, always the leap. If you don't understand how science works, it's magic. Yeah. And so, I think, always, I think that that always. lends to uh, distrust and of stuff of people who can manipulate elements and stuff for... For, uh, it's got to be, uh, you know, Ill, not natural, this, that, or the other, because, you know, they're making yeah. concoctions, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and yeah, like I said, it, most of it's just science and chemistry, but superstitious and uneducated people are always going to chalk stuff like this up to witchery or black magic. Right. And, of course, torture was being used in both cases to force people to give out names in order to save themselves. So, yeah. The chief of police actually decided to create two tiers of torture, uh, one which was the standard tier of torture used for interrogation, and the other was a much more severe form of torture, where the subject of the second torture may or may not survive it. That's crazy. Yeah. I think one of them didn't. I can't remember. Exactly. Uh, Marie Virgo did not survive it. Yeah. I mean, like, man. Yeah. She was tortured to death. Uh, but even then, surviving the torture wasn't a guarantee that you got to live. Right. So you could go to trial, be found guilty, and then you were executed in a variety of brutal ways, which included decapitation, strangulation, hanging, or being broken on the wheel. And if you don't know what that is, go fucking look that up yeah. if you have a strong constitution, because yeah. it's fucking brutal. That, ah. Yeah. Yeah, that one's... There's so much... I mean, like, they're all awful, but, like, ugh. Torture devices and stuff they had back then and stuff is just, like, unbelievable. Yep. Yep. And the last one was being burned alive, which Bosset was. March 12th, saw a potion maker named Catherine Montevijan, also known as Le Pogeon, and it was her client list that exposed just how entangled the aristocracy actually was in all yeah. of this. And she is not a sympathetic character to me. Oh, yeah? Not at all. I don't know if what later witness accounts said was true or not, but we'll get into that. Okay. And I'll kind of go into why she is not a sympathetic character to me. It was exposed that on her clientele list was the Marquis de Montspon. This was, in fact, the king's mistress and mother of seven (laughs) of his legally legitimized children. Right. So, of course, this was a very big deal. Montespan showed up in the French courts around 1665, 
And she had her eyes set on a very high prize. That said she wanted from day one to get her way up close to the king. And she was prepared to fight dirty. She started by seducing the king's favorite mistress, uh, or seducing the king away from his favorite mistress. And in 1668, she ended up pregnant with the king's child. There was one problem with all of this, though. She was married. (laughs) She was very married. Yeah. Yeah. And naturally, her husband wasn't thrilled. But surely, he wouldn't be so stupid as to confront a king, right? Well, in September of 1668, he was that stupid. And for his (laughs) efforts, he was tossed in prison for two weeks and then later placed on house arrest. Jeez. By the man begging his wife. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty awful. Mm. I'd be like, you can have her. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I would like, no, I'm not fighting that battle. No no winning in this scenario. No, I'm not going to come out on top. (laughs) Yeah, I'd just be like, I'd be mad, but I'd be like, see, bro, have fun. You know, I would not express that at all. I'd be like, you put up with her shit. (laughs) Exactly. Unsurprisingly, the psychopath that Montespan was thrived in these conditions, as psychopaths are wont to do when they're given power. She continued to fight dirty and held her position as best she could. She decided, however, to do this, she was going to knock it up another notch, and in 1676, another woman had turned the king's head, and her response to this was to release two of her pet bears into the woman's apartments. Oh my gosh! Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, uh, where do you get pet bears? I don't fucking Although, know. I have to say, like, if any, like, old Russian stuff, weird. it's like, there's always, like, an old Russian thing with the bear. Yeah, so bear maybe, baiting. Was yeah, maybe they'd be like, thing. oh, we got a bear from Russia Yeah. Something. Which, that's a horrific practice in and about yeah. itself. Like, bear yeah. baiting, they would basically torture a bear to death. It's horrible. It's like, why was that yeah. entertainment? Yeah. Why? Well, yeah. I don't get it. I don't think torturing any animals entertainment. No, and I don't yeah. understand the people that think it is. Like, what is wrong I with know. your fucking head? I just got something different. <laughs> something, man. So now we're going to jump back a little bit in time. Um, the poison maker, known as Levozon, was burnt at the stake. So they couldn't question her anymore, obviously. Right, right. So they went to her daughter, who shockingly was also named Marie. <laughs> Right? Okay. 17th century France. They yeah. did not believe in creative no. names for women. No. You were all Marie. Yeah. That was it. Enjoy. <laughs> She's a Marie. It's going to be a thing now. Yeah. And this Marie told the authorities a pretty shocking story about everything her mother had been involved in. Apparently, her mother had been working for Montespan for around five years. And at first it started with her making love potions for Montespan in order to keep the king's interest. And then eventually it evolved into dark rituals to keep the king's interest. However, these rituals got very dark indeed because Marie claimed that her mother sacrificed between three to four newborn infants in order for these ceremonies to go forward. It's possible. Yeah. So, like, I don't... For me, it's like either she really hated her mom and wanted to say something awful about her, or like she had no reason to lie and just told them what she knew. It's possible. And it's hard to call either one. Yeah. You know? I think it's, yeah, it's one of the, I don't think it's like, uh, I don't think they had any corroborating others other than the daughter saying it, but maybe that's enough, you know? Yeah, and again, it's one of those things you just don't know if she's telling the truth or not. But if she was, then, um, like, instantly, Lavazan is not a uh, sympathetic character to me. Whereas I feel Julia very much was. Right, right. So, very, very different different stories 
within these same kind of circumstances. Right, right. Which I find very, very interesting. So, of course, when these things didn't work, um, she decided she was going to try to create poison clothing for the king and whoever he was currently seeing, mm-hmm. which, of course, didn't work because it's absolutely fucking ridiculous. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. When the chief of police found all this out, he, of course, had to go to the king and tell him, hey, uh, look, your old lady yeah. isn't all on the up and up. No. And it's also important to note, she was very important at court. Mm -hmm. She was actually sometimes referred to as the real queen of France at the time. Like, that tells you just how much power she held. That's a lot. Yeah. Quite a bit. In fact, the king protected her. He prevented her from going to trial, and he tried to cover up her involvement as much as he could. Yeah. Which is weird to me. Dumb love. Yeah. (laughs) Dumb love. Who knows? I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, in 1682, he disbanded the commission, possibly because this hit just a little too close to home for him. And uh, he basically, his dance was to declare all magic false and put stricter regulations on chemists. All totaled, in the end of this catastrophe, 319 arrest warrants were issued, 194 actual arrests were made, 35 people were put to death, and two ended up dying from torture. And the king's mistress, well, she retired to a convent in 1691 and died in 1707. So those are the two <laughs> wild stories that I have about poisons in the 17th century. What I find interesting about it, though, is like King Louis's kind of end on all this is basically like um, the, it's all phony. Yeah. Like magicians, all that stuff, fortune telling, it's all phony. Like, yeah. none of that stuff is real. So I thought it was interesting that he took that approach at the very end of it. Mm-hmm. Instead of, like, imbuing all these things with dark magic and all this, he's basically saying, magic's yeah. not real, folks. This, These people are fakes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I thought, I thought that was an interesting take on it because it's kind of like, you know, with, you know, cha- like somebody that important kind of saying that these people don't have magical powers... Yeah. is an interesting turn because before they would have been like get across, put it on their forehead, dunk them in the water throw stones at them, turn exactly. them upside down, they're, they're, they're imbued with some sort of dark magic mm-hmm. so I thought it was interesting that his take on it was to just basically say it's all phony folks yeah and the only thing I could think of that because I, I wondered about that too is if it was a further way to kind of protect it could be her because it could have been like hey you know she was involved in these rituals, but if I say, hey, these rituals never had any power, so she never actually hurt anybody, because really, who cared about three to four dead infants that were probably right. poor, you know? Right. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing... families, or orphaned. Right. Nobody gives a shit about that, right? Or that so. didn't happen. Who knows? I mean, that's the thing, is like, we just don't that really didn't happen. know. Yeah. Right? And so... Or it did. I don't know. You just can't ever tell with people. But exactly. I think that... Um, but if you, if you basically right. say, hey... You know, even if she was involved, it's all pretend anyway, so it doesn't matter. Right, but what, I guess my point is, is like, it's, um, you know, you're looking at, it's just going to be hitting around the 1700s, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, we're at the end of the, you know, 1600s, and so there's like that whole fight between science and the church and magic, really? And so yeah. I thought it was interesting and it's sort of like this time period where things kind of shift back into 
um, science, right? And so I thought him's kind of saying this sort of thing of like, hey, folks, it's not real. Mm-hmm. It may have, maybe that was start would have changed people's minds about what what is magic, what isn't magic, and do we believe in this anymore? Yeah. And you have someone as powerful as a king basically saying, "It's hocus pocus pocus, fo- it's phony, folks. Don't believe it." Even if his meaning was to protect his old lady, it's like it still maybe had an impact of like, "Hey, you know, let's move away from this." Yeah. And and because it was rampant. Like that idea that the problem was is that poisoning was really, really rampant. When they I mean I think they said that, um what was it? Like uh they thought that the last woman killed maybe a thousand to twenty five hundred people mm-hmm. with poisons. You know, mm-hmm. she had a huge network. Yeah. And like I think her she was way more prolific than say uh the first woman, but the, their total meanings were different. Like, I think that yeah. the last one was completely power and money, and yeah. the first one was probably a lot of just obviously trying to help people that were in helpless situations. It's important to know, too, that there were very economic differences yeah. between France and Italy at this time. Too. Right, because France was booming. Yeah, France was booming at this time. The army was stronger than ever. Trade was stronger than ever. Yeah. They were doing really well, Yeah, you know? Arts and sciences were blossoming, and right. that's whenever art and science tends to blossom, it's a, he- a sign of a, a society that's on an upswing. Right, right. And I want to say a healthy society because I kind of feel like right, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, an oxymoron. I don't right, know that we're right. ever healthy. So, right, yeah, I guess um, you know, fruitful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and like you were saying, like after that, I, I I actually was googling it while we were talking to make sure I was right about it. But yeah, after the Renaissance came the period, the period known as the Enlightenment, mm-hmm. and that was. Whereas the Renaissance was the 17th century, the Enlightenment was the 18th century, and yeah, that was more. I of think the, the Renaissance was mainly over by the by. I thought the Renaissance was like earlier than the 1600s. Um, it was the tail end. Oh, the tail the end. The tail end of the right. Renaissance that was makes in the sense. 1600s. Right. So we, we were coming to the close. Yeah, because I think the that there was sort of, honestly, when I read about the 1700s, it was sort of like this, or the 1600s, it was sort mm-hmm. of like a black dot. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of have like the, the, the Renaissance and there's a lot of, you know, um, you know, people investigating science and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of like you get this little black dot and mm-hmm. there's like a lot of strife. And then after that, it kind of goes back into more of a boom with, yeah. you know, the alignment and stuff like that. So I thought it was sort of interesting. There's this break kind mm-hmm. of it's sort of like. And I and you're right. I think it, it kind of like the Renaissance was probably like piddling down in the beginning of the 16th, uh, 1600s. But it just seems, yeah. it just seems like it was like very not and you know a great time to be. You know what yeah. I mean? As, at least in Italy. I'm sure in other parts it may have been different. You know. Yeah. But and I think too, like people have a mistake too of taking like the the uh, 18th century as kind of a that I think is when we get the whole like. Oh, that's all Victorian times. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's not mm-hmm. Victorian times. Mm-hmm. Victorian times was when Queen Victoria mm-hmm. was in power. Right. You know, and then there was the awarding period, which came after that. So um, it, it would be more accurate to say, like, for example, in this, it says the Napoleonic Wars started in 1815, right. which should tell you there's quite a difference yeah. between the two. Yeah. So... Yeah, so that led into that whole disaster. And then that would be interesting because so much of that was all the upheaval with France and everything. Right, yeah. So then France goes haywire (laughs) after all this, you know. So it seems like this was also kind of the the 
closing for a time of, of the French Golden Age. Yeah, so I think so too. So, and then it launched into a whole lot of fucking war. Endless war with <laughs> Russia. A whole lot of fucking war. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah. Waterloo and all that stuff. Yep. So, yeah. But again, it came back to me too, just how different the tones of the papers that I read on Julia Tofana was. Mm -hmm. You would have some that were like painting her as this this villainous mastermind who Mm -hmm. was just like a a goddess of death who had no moral compass and no desire to help anybody. She just wanted profit. Right. However, at the same time, I tend not to believe that because of who her clientele was. Right. She easily could have sold to the aristocracy and she wasn't. Right. You know, And, and we have proof that it was going on in right. the aristocracy at the time. Right. You know? But men write history and men are afraid of poisoning. So I think Bingo. that that's why a lot of times, and you know, okay, yeah, I have to be fair. Yeah. Like, I am sure there were some men who probably did not deserve to die. Yeah. Because there are greedy people out there and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I, and maybe women were not only her only, I'm just saying, like, yeah. I imagine it was probably more than just, you know, I'm, I'm a few men probably she sold to. I imagine that's in there. Yeah. You know I, I'm what I mean? sure. I'm sure. But I, but I'm also sure too, like I. But the majority, it sounds like it was women. Yeah, well, it also kind of came to this thing too of Julia was known for vetting her clients. Mm. She wouldn't just sell to anybody. Oh well, that's smart. You know, she had to. She, I mean, it's how she got away with it for right. as long as she did. Right. She was very, very careful yeah. and meticulous with her client selection, mm-hmm. which again. Also um, leads me to believe that yeah. it was maybe a more philanthropic. It could. It thing, sounds like. You know? it. And the other thing too is like once you're hitting like 600 people or transactions or clients, yeah. you're gonna run into the one that's gonna squeal. Yeah. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? That's the unfortunate yeah. part. Is it's like you know if you can call it unfortunate about poisoning people, yeah. <laughs> it's like you know you know her gig got got because you know what do they say like you know it's just the more people involved in crime the more likely it's someone's gonna talk yeah and it makes me wonder if she if she had moved from rome to another area if she would have gotten away with it even longer oh yeah that you you're know? probably right yeah i mean so often you do that crime you move on yeah you know? yeah i mean she got away with it in naples for how long yeah and nobody ever caught her then and then she moved yeah. to rome and she did it for 18 years there so it it makes me wonder that if she had been just a little smarter about it and had maybe moved around a little bit, right. which I understand would be difficult because then you got to build up your clientele New, all over yeah. again. New references. Exactly. <laughs> you know, get caught like scratch. that lady at the party. By the way, yeah, I do exactly. poisonings on the side. You know? So anybody, someone dead. Yeah, know? yeah. Just crazy <laughs> to do that. Uh, yeah, I when I saw that and then I read it later, I was like, holy shit, I still can't fathom i can't remember who it was but they said one of them the woman was an alcoholic and so they didn't torture her but they just got her blazing drunk and then she confessed it was probable say i can't remember who it was but yeah they were saying like yeah. oh we didn't torture her or they tortured her later but at first they just mm-hmm. got her drunk and then she was like blah 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 yeah because we know for go she had she was tortured extensively right obviously she died from right it. so i i would be inclined to believe that it was Bose because a lot of the accusations in general came from her. Right, right. So, and, but it is interesting how like it's good to be king because it's like, oh, I love my old lady even though she tried. You know, it's that whole weird like she tried killing me so she really loves me. Yeah, that, and and yeah. And, then, and that I'm wondering if that was you know the whole dynamic there. So he's yeah. like, oh, it just means that she really loves me, so I'm yeah. not gonna kill her, but everybody else is gonna get executed. 
you know so it's like oh is that privilege that she and oftentimes if like the you know women were of higher status that were the wives Mm -hmm. that the higher status women would get like you said like a longer prison term or whatever and but they didn't get execution all the time it also makes me wonder though too if it didn't have something to do with his children you know because they didn't have seven children together and even then, like, but then again, I'm your thinking, grown male children yeah. became more political alliances like and allies right. yeah, than they did yeah. anything else. And maybe didn't want to piss them off. That's you know? possible, but I'm imagining back then, I don't think she probably had much to do with her children. Because like, a lot of probably times... Probably not nannies She's just worrying shit, about, so. like, you know, I got a wet nurse. I just deliver this thing, and then I yeah. keep my man away from other women. That's what that sounds like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, she had a full-time job just trying to, like, keep his eye from roving from... Which is weird, because he was already marrying somebody else, you know? Yeah. Which was weird. Yeah. What was interesting about all this is, like, they never mentioned his wife. And any of the stuff that I read, they nope. never even mentioned her name. <laughs> that poor woman, yeah. She, yeah. I, didn't, I, don't, I couldn't even tell you who she I is. I couldn't either. And I was like, man, it's so weird, because I've read, like, several different, you know, sources on this. No one ever mentioned his yeah. wife. They mentioned the names of his other mistresses, too, yeah, but yeah. not his wife. Yeah. And I'm like, And so she was a non-entity, and I'm like, man, you know, I should probably actually, like, look her up, so that's like... Which I'm assuming maybe meant she was a good person, because if you're not, like, awful, they didn't take yeah. note of you, it seems. Yeah, maybe, I guess. She wasn't full <laughs> I don't of know, drama. maybe she was terrible, too, who knows, but... Yeah, I, it just, I thought it was interesting that, like, they didn't even mention her. No. Not at all. <laughs> you know? That it, it, and it's sad. It and really that is sad. his mistress never tried to kill her. Yeah. Just the other mistresses. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, man, this, this woman must have been way removed or something. Yeah. Yep. Well, I know they were saying, too, that, like, being the king's mistress was, like, the ultimate. Yeah. Like. Power trip. Yeah. The, the best kind of position you could have. Because you got all the benefits. Yeah. You got all of the wealth. You got all the privilege. You got all the power. But you didn't have all of the political, um, like, responsibilities. responsibilities. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't have to do, you didn't have to, like, go to certain events. You didn't yeah. have to show up to certain things for certain reasons. You didn't have you to. You got all the other attention. Exactly. You got all the, yeah, yeah. I mean, kind of all the joys of court, and you didn't have to deal with any of the, yeah. the bullshit unless you really wanted right, to. Right, right. And even then, most of it was, you know, just, like you said, Keeping the king away from other women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look yeah. Up, fuck off, it's fuck like off. badminton. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All these birdies are coming in. Exactly. It's like, nope, 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 nope. But, yeah, I mean, at the end, I can kind of, I could see it as being a, a pretty sweet gig. I just don't right. know that I would be willing to oh, kill no. for it. Like, Because no. I imagine even then you would still have a pretty good life. Yeah, you know, that is true. Like, I mean, what, did you just get kicked out and then you're in the swamp? Like, imagine that it's like, yeah. you're you're going to get put in a nice little convent like she did. Mm-hmm. You know, she can live out the rest of her days and, yeah. you know, but that's not what people like that want. People yeah. like that, they are hungry to the end. And I, I, I'm curious, too, because I don't actually know what life in a convent was like then. So I don't know if it was like a basically a like a vacation spot for rich women where they just had to dress like a nun but then they got yeah. to like 
just well, hang out, I, I or think if that, it was, uh, I think you if they actually like put him to work. I don't think you had to. I, if, number one, I bet it probably depends on your situation. Yeah. There are probably some where it is like a spa. Oh, you're going to live in this nice spa. Everyone's going to take care of you. And then I think there's another one where it's like you live there, but you're not a part of the nuns. You're not a part of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the the. You're like sort of like in a weird in between where you're yeah. not a part of this, but you're not a part of the outside world either. Yeah. So you're kind of like your own thing within that little society there, and mm-hmm. I think that it was so it's either very, a privilege or a prison. Yeah, because I think it was very. Um, what do you call it when it's like uh, something is, uh, you know, just you didn't have a lot. Everything was just kind of like you were you were supposed to live a simple life with the the nuns you know what i mean like oh um i, I don't remember what the word exactly but it's basically you know yeah, i know what you mean i know this is like the, the vows of poverty yeah yeah like yeah that. it's like you're supposed to live a simple life and mm-hmm. just kind of stay out of the way like yeah. you're a problem and you know or we don't know what to do with you or whatever i think that there was a lot of women who got sent to places like that if their families had enough money they yeah. had to donate enough money if you were a problem you had like your family had to be able to give enough money for them to take you in. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like oh you can just go there and they'll take care of you. Yeah. It was like oh no no you need to have uh, some sort of something. Someone needs you to be here. Yeah. Out of the way. Exactly. Because otherwise I could see like just any woman, you know, who yeah. found herself, you know, like right. oh my husband's dead. Go to a new convent, you know? Right, I'll right. be taken care of then. But I think a lot you know? of it is just so getting... that makes more sense. ...people out of the picture. Because yeah. there, there's something going on, that maybe they have a mental illness, maybe it's whatever, but they mm. are not... The thing is, is, like, you go to the convent because they are not going to use you at that per- particular moment to make a marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think a lot of girls and women were put there if they were illegitimate and they want to hide it so you know like say you're king's daughter or some shit and you're a bastard mm-hmm. they would put you there because you're a political thing that could come up if anything happens to him yeah. you know what i mean so they'll put you away or whatever sort of situation there is um but you have someone had to have money behind it yeah so i think a lot of people i mean like it's not your choice okay uh you do this or you go to live a life of austerity you know yeah. what I mean? That's the word is austerity, and and I, and I think that it was not always a really good life living with the nuns. Yeah. So I don't think people were like, "Yay, I'm gonna go to the convent and it's gonna be a good thing." It's like, no, I'm gonna live in a little stone room with you know a sheet yeah. and a bucket. You know what I mean? And this like, will not be fun. And, so. <laughs> and it's like probably one of those places where you're not allowed to talk. You know what yeah. I mean? Like something crazy. Oh God. You went to the, like, I'm, I know a lot of them were, like, self-sustaining. They mm-hmm. had, like, their own gardens yeah. and stuff like that. And yeah. they, you know, did pretty much everything on their own. Yeah, yeah. So I imagine there was enough there to keep you busy. Yeah, but if you, you know, let's take this woman. She's lived a life of luxury in, um, yeah. you know, the, the palaces. Mm-hmm. Going to live, I mean, like, if it was a crime. I'm, I'm imagining she went to a really nice one. That's what I'm imagining. I'm, I'm imagining yeah. that he didn't punish her by sending her off to the worst one because he protected her. Yeah. So, but I think there was a lot of them where it was like, man, you really have to think about, should I marry this guy I absolutely dislike 
or go live in the convent when I am not going to be a nun. Like, they're not going to make me a nun. I'm not there for that reason. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I, if I remember to be a monk or a nun during that time frame, you had to enter into it fairly young. Yeah, I think you did. You couldn't do it once you reached adulthood. It, that's possible. I mean, I know you could be know, like though. an initiate or a novice or whatever it is where it's like, you know, you're not a nun yet, but you're living at the, you know, the state yeah. where you're like under everybody else. I don't know if they would allow them to join that kind of thing or that not. That doesn't sound fun. I imagine <laughs> I after a certain period that. of time they might. Yeah. You know, if you've been here for 20 years. Well, maybe. I don't know. I'm not really sure how that works. No, that's curious, though. I mean, something for another time, but so much of this led in like history does because it's all connected but it led into so many other areas right. for me that i found just interesting yeah you know yeah there's so many ties uh between of course as i was as we discussed you know modern times now mm-hmm. and even like the witch trials and yeah. things like that where there's there's so many parallels right you know between the struggles and and it comes back to a lot to me is the have and have nots yeah you know kind of uh, being a huge major players on this particular stage you know over and over again in history right so it's wrong to kill people yeah 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 i I agree with that for sure but at the same time like what option these women have right right like well i agree with that too because it's like there is no other option in some cases i mean i'm sure some of them could say we could have run away well could you? Yeah, exactly. Where would yeah. you go? Where would you go? Who's How there? would you make a living? Yeah, you're not allowed to have a job. Or if you did, somebody's already exactly. got that job. 800 people are waiting for that job because there's no... I mean, and that leads you to a parallel to the pandemic because it's like, who has been most affected by the, par- by the pandemic? Mm-hmm. Single moms. Single yeah. moms have dropped out of the workforce. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, what are they going to do? Yeah. Only fans. I mean, like, it's really sad to me. I know some people are like, oh, it's self-empowerment and this, that, and the other. In some ways, I think it can be. And I agree with that. But I feel that, like, the choices have been limited. Yeah. And I feel that it's really, 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 really disheartening that there's so many really talented people out there. And they have their own gifts Mm -hmm. and their own problems and everything. And it's like the sex work in some form is the the avenue that's accessible to you because you have kids and there are no daycares open Mm-mm. there's no there, i mean that's the thing that i keep reading about is like people are basically saying like you guys are gonna like let's say with the unemployment situation where they're kicking everybody off unemployment they're like okay well what happens to all these single moms kids are out of school mm-hmm. and there's no daycare there's hardly babysitters are not doing that stuff right now. Mm-hmm. Well, how are they supposed to make money? Yeah. So I feel like it forces women into a situation where you're going to lose everything. You could lose your kids. Yep. So I, I, I mean, but like, then you also have, of course, that progression to people popping up and being like, no, this is evil and wrong and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't feel these like women are whores and they're selling their right. bodies. And it's like, but uh, that's not the point. The point, and I, I, yeah, I agree no, with you I'm just saying it's an interesting yeah. kind yeah. of Yeah, you're fact a that whore that's... because you're on OnlyFans or whatever, a exactly. cam girl. But it's like, okay, maybe I'm a mom that has a no choice. I can't find a job. Mm-hmm. I want to keep my kids. Yeah. 
And, and my only, I don't have a problem with this being an option available to them, but I have a problem with it being one of the few options yes. available to them. I agree. I agree And that's completely. where I'm like, because I think there's a lot of people that get pushed into that stuff that wouldn't do it normally, but they are desperate. Yeah. You know, I mean, they yeah. are, they don't, so I, uh, so I see situations like, you know, in the, you know, the stuff that we've talked about, about the past and stuff, and it's like, this stuff never ends. No. It just never ends. It's like the torture changes and the circumstances change. But there's mm-hmm. this underlying thing of like, man, we can just like basically push half of humanity, the female half of humanity into servitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much you want to bet that Scott? <laughs> They'd be hilarious. I'm going to go. I'm going to pause it. Yeah. Okay. Back to it. <laughs> <laughs> little break (laughs) little break little break they're interesting but yeah um so to wrap everything up uh just wanted to let everybody know uh you can find the wicked side on instagram you can find us on facebook as wicked myth i know i know i know (laughs) at this point i'm like why not just be both yeah (laughs) but yes you can find me on facebook at the wicked myth um and then on instagram at the wicked side um, I am available on most platforms. However, right now I did want to kind of give uh, all my listeners a bit of a warning. For some reason, or for whatever reason, I'm not currently on iTunes. That is not by my own volition. I'm working with iTunes to get the issue fixed, but it is taking a while. So hopefully I will have it back up and running on iTunes soon. Um, and I look forward to hearing... Um, from anybody if you at all want to be a guest host on the show all you have to do is email me at the wicked side podcast or the wicked myth podcast sorry about that or you can message me on instagram at the wicked side that's what i meant to say (laughs) so yeah if that's something you think you'd be interested in doing or you think it sounds like it might be fun um go ahead and send me a message and we'll see if we can't schedule you in have a little fun and i'll tell you a little bit of history so um, thank you everybody for listening and thank you Andrea for being here again. Oh, my it pleasure. is always so much fun and I love our conversations. Yep. Me so, too. Um, but yeah, thank you all for being here. Thank you for continuing to support us and listen to me and um, we'll see you all on the other side. Have a good day.